Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try and settle that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? Oh, Will your parents want to? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. That was a really good job. I'm really, I'm really. You know, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of you one day. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here to your dreams. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Hey, good morning, all you entrepreneurs out there. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Radio Show. We are broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 FM from the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. I'm your host, Doris Nagel. Why am I here? Well, I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself, and I love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses over the past 30 years as part of my law and consulting practice, and I've also started or helped start at least nine different businesses candidly with varying degrees of success and I can tell you candidly I have made a lot of mistakes. My passion here is to share what I've learned and find other people who also want to share what they've learned, their advice and their insights. So the goal of the show is to inform but also to inspire. You should always feel free to email me with comments, questions or suggestions if there's a topic you'd like to hear about. You're having an issue or a challenge I'll either help you or I'll find somebody to help. And if you want to be a guest or just want to share a great resource, reach out to me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org. And now, without further ado, I would like to introduce our esteemed guest for today. Joining me live in the studio is Ty Rohrer. He's the manager of cultural arts for the Waukegan Park District and the manager of the Waukegan Symphony Orchestra. But he's also been very instrumental in a variety of historical and cultural organizations throughout the state and the area. And I'm going to guess if it has anything to do with history or culture, there's a good chance Ty at some point has had a finger or two or maybe a a whole hand in it. He's also the chairman of the Waukegan Arts Council. He's on the board of directors of the Illinois State Historical Society as well as the chairman of the City of Waukegan Historic Preservation Commission. He has also headed up or served on numerous special event commissions, like, for example, the Ray Bradbury Centennial Commission. For those of you who don't know, Ray Bradbury is a native of Waukegan, Illinois, and is a well-known novelist, probably best known as a science fiction writer, but is uh, one of the many more famous residents of the city of Waukegan, and uh, folks there are quite proud of that. So some of you may wonder what all this nonprofit stuff has to do with entrepreneurship, but I would argue, and hopefully you'll agree after listening to our guest today, that it takes a lot of entrepreneurial skills to be successful at guiding and building a nonprofit and maybe even might just be the right career path for some of you out there. So first, before we bring Ty on, a few words about him. He grew up in Lincoln, Illinois, 
Ty, I don't know. Is Lincoln, Illinois really where Lincoln is from? Or they just like Dave Lincoln a lot there, so they called it Lincoln. Uh, they liked him a lot. Okay, yeah. but he's not really from Lincoln. Not so. from Lincoln. Okay, so Ty got his degrees in history and anthropology from the University of Illinois, go Illini, and then got his master's in history from the University of Illinois at Springfield. As a child, he says that he enjoyed family trips to historical sites, which in turn led to his desire to work in the field of history. When he graduated, he was brought on to be the museum supervisor at the Waukegan History Museum and then was promoted to manager of cultural arts. When he's not doing acts of good all over Lake County, Illinois, and other parts of Illinois, he plays string bass with the Waukegan Symphony Orchestra, which, full disclosure, is how I know Ty. I am very grateful for him and the rest of the string bass section. I play cello there. And so when I'm lost or I'm not sure of the rhythm, I always listen to my string bass counterparts. They they set me right again. He and his wife live in Waukegan, and he says they are both avid tennis players. So I don't know where he finds time for all of that, but uh, somehow he does. So with that introduction, Ty, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome to The 70 Entrepreneur. Thank you, Doris. Pleasure to be here with you this morning. You know, Ty, you have been involved with not-for-profit organizations your whole career, and it's interesting, you you work with the Park District for the city of Waukegan, and yet my sense is, is that in managing, for example, the Waukegan Symphony Orchestra, there's a lot of similarities between pure non-profits and those kind of organizations, so... Did you consciously start out thinking you wanted to work for nonprofits in that kind of setting, or is it just kind of where most of the jobs were and that's where it took you? It, it was not a conscious thing. It just it happened. Knowing what I do now, uh, I definitely would have changed some of my schooling background really? to prepare me better for it. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that. Okay. But the, it kind of just happened and evolved. It did, yeah. I'm sure each nonprofit is pretty unique, but are there some common things about nonprofits you've observed over the years? There are. First and foremost, I've gotten to meet and work with some truly dedicated people. Some of the folks that I've had the pleasure to uh, work with and on behalf of have been volunteering for some of these non-for-profits for decades now, sometimes for 50 years since the start of the organization, and they are still plugging away, doing great things for this group. Uh, so, I mean, the, the people involved, that definitely, I, I see that within all the, the, the groups that I work with, that there are just quite a few individuals that really stand out. And, you know, they are really the backbone of those groups. Well, every nonprofit needs volunteers, that's for sure. And right. it needs not just volunteers, but reliable volunteers and volunteers who are they're going to be there when the call for help comes out they are there they show up when they say they're going to show up right right and so those people without them you can have the greatest passion or cause in the world but you don't have any arms and legs really to yeah if you don't have those folks you don't have an organization yeah yeah how do you cultivate do you think those people how do you find those people? How do you how do you cultivate that? Well, I think that's one of the biggest 
challenges that I've seen. I mean, we, for instance, with the Waukegan Historical Society, so that's a 50-plus-year-old organization at this point, very well respected within the community, but still hard to find volunteers, hard to find board members. Uh, it's, it is a commitment for people to join these organizations, to, to jump in and be a part. And that's really the struggle that I've seen with really all the different nonprofits that I've been a part of is just finding that next wave of individuals to come in and keep these legacies going. Why do you think it's so hard? Is it harder than it used to be, do you think? Um, from what I've gathered from the folks that I, I work with, it, it, it's harder. Yeah, it, I, I, I think we have uh, less people volunteering at this point, especially for maybe an organization where you need to really be active more, more than just one special event a year or something. I mean, you are really helping with the not necessarily the day-to-day operations, but you're keeping these things going month to month and not always doing things that you really enjoy, but it's necessary for this cause that you've joined to keep right. moving forward. Why do you think it is that people don't volunteer as much? I don't know. They're busier? They're Less bus- sense of community? Possibly both. Yeah. 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 I mean, I we are all busy. I mean, I know that. I, I know that for me personally, I get to see nonprofits in three different ways. I am a chair of one. I work on behalf of another one. And then I serve as a volunteer on a board for one. And the one that I struggle with the most personally is the one that I volunteer for. Really? Yeah. It, that's the hardest one for me to be able to really get myself involved and focused and I, I wish I could do more. I mean, that happens to be the State Historical Society one, and I am one of the board members that live the farthest away from the middle of the state where they generally uh, have uh, their so, meetings and so whatnot. there's that. But there's it's a, that. But, but it maybe also part of it is is that it doesn't have quite the the local impact of some of the other organizations that you work with where right. you can see and touch and feel the contributions that you and others have made. Right, right. There's a lot to be said with staying local. I mean, there is. maybe it yeah. doesn't look as prestigious on the resume if you're looking for board positions to put on your resume, which sadly some people probably are. But if you want to make an impact, I think stay local is probably at least what I've learned. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Uh, that yeah, it's the best place to start. I mean, the local groups, they need help. So back to a point you made earlier, which is you wish when you'd been in school that you'd learned some other things. And so maybe that plays right into my next question, which is, in your experience, what what does it take to successfully manage a nonprofit? Well, you need to have patience. (laughs) (laughs) You need to be reliable. I mean, all these are common sense things, but... I mean, you really do need these things. You need to be a leader. So you have to be able to get people on board with whatever your vision is, what the proper thing is for that organization to do. At the same time, you need to be politically savvy while doing that. I've learned it's pretty easy to step on toes. I've never run a nonprofit, but I've been a board member of a couple. And, um, yeah, it's not hard to do. Right. And you have to adapt. 
And within adapting, I mean, unless you are right there at the very beginning of a nonprofit, you're, you're jumping in to something already established. So you might have the ways that you want things to be done, but ultimately you need to adapt to that organization. You can change things along the way, but I don't think that somebody coming in right at the beginning and doing major overhauls is really going to be successful in that. Well, what's likely to happen? Uh, What's likely to happen, you're going to lose the current volunteers, the current board members, and all that institutional knowledge. And you don't want to lose that. You want everybody to keep moving forward for the good, for the better cause. But there are times when organizations, I think, need to evolve and change or even just completely pivot in order to reach the next level of goals. So how do you do that? How do you make those changes? How do you, for example, help a nonprofit scale up, have have a broader reach or implement a new IT system or, you you know, some of the major kinds of things that sometimes organizations need to do to stay vibrant and relevant? Well, I think the the first thing that these organizations need to focus on, and again, I'm just using my own experience, looking at everything that the organization does and make sure that it fits the mission. Over time, some of the groups start to do new things, start to branch out, and sometimes they they lose what the focus should be. And once you start doing that, you're spreading your resources thin, and again, that important goal is lost. So it, it's, so it's a, it must be a fine balance, though, between losing the goal but sometimes pivoting when you need to pivot in order yeah. to maybe grow and become a little less local in your reach, for example. It, that can be, it, yeah, very tough. Yeah. So what traits do you think make people successful at running nonprofits? Good communicators, I think, is probably the best trait. And you have to be able to communicate with all types of people, all types of personalities, all different age groups, whatnot. And you have to be able to do that all in one day, work with all these different people from your everyday volunteer to the mayor of your city. And that could be conversations that you have within the same hour. And those are different conversations. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking it's, it's, it is very similar, drawing parallels with what entrepreneurs need to do. If, for example, a startup company or a small business, you need to be able to be a great communicator. You've got to communicate to your Investors or people you're raising money from. You've got to communicate right. to your customers. You've got to communicate with key vendors and suppliers and employees or whoever is, you know, your arms and legs helping you do things. And so it's a, a pretty important skill. It is. It is. And when you're working for a lot of these nonprofits, you are a leader in the community. So you have to recognize that early on and you need to make sure that you are not just representing yourself, representing that entity that you're part of, but you are representing sometimes the city, sometimes the state. Right. So you you have to make sure that really everything that you are doing is proper and is going to be well-received. Yeah. Challenging. Can be. Challenging. Yeah. So you got to tell me, 
There probably were a couple of mistakes and stumbles. These are probably words of wisdom that you've learned over the years. And I'll bet you didn't come out of undergrad or grad school fully prepared for all this. So you got to tell me. There's probably a story or two of, of a, an oops. And maybe, maybe if you don't want to come clean, maybe you can just tell me <laughs> of other people, people you know who uh, you saw who did things that, that probably in retrospect weren't the smartest. You know, as reflecting back on this, um, and I'll, I'll go back to uh, not thinking that I was really well prepared for this role from my university studies, not to say that I didn't get a good education, I did. Right. Um, taking history, anthropology classes, classes in education, if I became a teacher, things like that, but not classes on working with a nonprofit or classes that dealt with how to work with people i don't were there are there any of those classes i don't know that's a problem there are there's not i I mean i don't know what they're like but there is a there are non-profit management courses that you can take now degrees that you can get okay um i mean i would have probably been good to take some business classes and finance and marketing public right. relations right uh, now probably social media too social media too yeah because you you have to be all of those things at once what i've learned is you have to be able to say no mm, that's interesting and i don't know if there's a class in that i don't think there is either and i'm still working on that but that was a, a lesson that i learned in college actually that was the one kind of thing that got me ready for this job was uh being in my fraternity, serving as president of the fraternity, so getting to lead that group in meetings, using Robert's rules of orders and things like that within the yeah. meetings, and, and working with a lot of diverse people. Well, in a lot of fraternities, I don't know about yours, but a lot of them really espouse some charitable kinds of initiatives. Yeah, we didn't. Oh. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to give you the benefit of but the doubt. Some to, do, To get least. back to your question, though, I made some mistakes along the way there as president. We we were a, a fraternity that was really on the verge of failing. So I knew that major changes needed to happen, and I pushed too quick. Oh. So these other organizations I've been a part of in my professional career, I've been able to always think back to that time and say, well, let's slow it down a little bit. Let's take a different approach than just running in with the bulldozer, knocking it down, and let's slowly try to build this thing back or move it in a better direction some other way. But I've had mistakes. In my newer role as the manager of cultural arts, um, like the Waukegan Symphony Orchestra, for example, that's a huge challenge for me. I mean, I've been in music. You seem like you just stepped into it with, you know, just it, it's one with of those grace and ease. I don't know. You just uh, thought I, I didn't realize that's a new role. You, I just assumed that you've been doing it forever. I I thought it would be easier. Like I've I've played in a symphony, been around music for a long time, and uh, apparently I wasn't paying attention to how it actually works. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, every day is a challenge. Every day is almost, uh, it seems like an, an important kind of, some, something important has to be decided. Crisis of the moment. Yeah, and I'm hoping that if we do this radio program in five years, if you ask the same question, like, well, the mistake was this and this with the symphony. I, don't, I hope not, but. 
I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm guessing that somehow people involved with music and musicians are maybe a slightly different overall, a slightly different profile <laughs> than people interested in things historical. That just is my guess. A little bit. A yeah. Little bit. Yeah. A lot of the artistes, you know, maybe, I don't know, the wannabe. Yeah. If you were running a theater group, I think you would you would probably see that on steroids would be. Probably my, would. My yeah. guess is yeah. having worked with a couple of those. Um, you know, I, I recently, I was doing some reading in preparation for this interview, and one of the articles I read said that nonprofits should be run more like businesses today. Do you do you think that's right? In a certain aspect, yes. I mean, I think the successful businesses, they have that goal that they are trying to attain. Now, I think some non-for-profits, they, like we've already talked about, they kind of lose sight sometimes of that, that ultimate purpose. The business is trying to make a profit. The difference with the non-profit is they're not trying to make a profit. Yes, they need money. That is always a concern, but they're they are doing something for the greater good, not just for their pocketbooks. Right. I mean, I guess you could argue that there are businesses that take it upon themselves to become more socially responsible or, right. you know, championing certain social causes, which is right. great. Right. And there there are different business practices that nonprofits use strategic planning for example i mean that's very common within the business world and i know we've used them to certain degrees within the the different nonprofits that i i'm a part of so again it's just making sure that everyone within the organization is understanding of what is really needing to be done everyone's on the same page you know and from my own personal experience i think not all nonprofits are particularly transparent about what that is, and I and I use that as a segue maybe to the, the next set of questions, which is that I'm hoping that some of the people listening to this may decide or be considering a career working with nonprofits and using some of their entrepreneurial skills to do that. But probably lots more are likely to be a board member of a nonprofit at some point. Right. And so I just know from a couple of boards that I've worked on, I had similar stories swapping with, you know, over coffee with other people. There is often a pretty significant mismatch between what a new board member thinks it's supposed to do and what they actually are supposed to do. And... And sometimes, I don't know if that's because the prospective board member is so excited about being asked to be on a board, you're just like, oh, great, of course, it's a great cause, and they don't ask enough questions. I think sometimes, though, the organizations are not always the most transparent about what the right. role... They'll say they want the board to provide strategic direction, and it turns out, in one case, really all they wanted was a rubber stamp and right. the board members just wanted to socialize, you know. Right, right. And it's very frustrating if you think you're <laughs> on a board to actually make a difference with the strategy. Yeah. So what makes for a great board member and what kind of questions should prospective board members ask 
And what should the organizations ask about when they're trying to find a good match with a board member? Yeah, I mean, a board member really should ask what is expected of them and ask what opportunities are available for them to kind of jump in and be a part of. Certain things obviously take some time to learn and just be around before some board members can do certain aspects of it. Right. But then there, there's plenty of things right at the beginning that a board member can can be a part of so that they really start to feel that they are part of that group right away. Uh, but that that's always tough. I've, I've seen board members not want to give up some of their responsibilities to others. Ah, so give an example of that. Um. Without naming names, of course. Sure, sure. So say somebody has served on a committee for a really long time, mm-hmm. and it it's time for them to start slowly uh, backing away. We've got some new people maybe on the board, so they uh, need to mentor those folks and get them yeah. involved. Yeah. It, that, that's the thing. It, it, it's getting getting the new board members involved once they're there. But a board member also needs to know their limitations. In terms of time in, or talent? In terms of time. In everything. Turn, yeah, everything. If, if it's a board that its main purpose is really fundraising, mm-hmm. then if you're not comfortable as doing that, then you really should not be on that board. Now, you might be able to help that organization some other way, but that responsibility is to try to raise money, not to do something else maybe not to set strategic direction maybe that's not what the board is expected to do maybe not yeah yeah and or get involved in sometimes board members my sister was telling me about a board that she's been involved in and she's a little dismayed that certain board members seem to think it's their role to get involved in some of the day-to-day operations of it correct and um that's causing a lot, of, a lot of angst, should we say, among you know the executive director and some of the employees, and right, it's hard. Right. And you have some boards that don't have any staff, so those board members do sometimes have to be more involved in day-to-day operations of something. But then there are those that do have staff, and and those board members do need to let let the staff do their job. They have to know kind of what that staff is doing but micromanaging is not going to help anybody well so what kind of person though is successful in those situations and what kinds of personality traits maybe are folks that might want to maybe not think about it well my favorite board members that i have worked with are the ones that raise their hand to do a job and they actually do it we all have had our moments where we say, yes, we'll do that task, and then we just don't well, do it, right? It's the we, the royal we. The royal we. Or yeah. or the royal you. <laughs> we need to do this. And it's like, well, wait, is there a mouse in your pocket? Who is, who's we? Well. Right? Right, right. So, I mean, as a staff person working for a non-for-profit, I mean you expect the board to allow you to do what you need to do as as an employee. But then at the same time, when they are volunteering, raising their hand to do something, well, you expect them to do that job as well. So you you don't want to be the staff person that has to, in turn, then micromanage the volunteer. 
micromanaged a board member. Because they didn't step up to do the thing. I mean, they stepped, or maybe they, they, they just up. overcommitted. Possibly, yeah. 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 And now all of a sudden you have this new initiative that big plans, but who's stuck trying to implement it, right? Right, right. That's what you're kind of situation That's what I'm saying, yeah. About. If you can't really do it, don't jump in and say you will. Yeah, you know, I, I've actually had the opposite experience where the executive directors were very strong-willed people and had a lot of say-so over who the board members were going to be. Hmm. And in both cases said they wanted the board to provide input and strategy and encourage new initiatives, but when push came to shove, they were never supported. Right. And those that both of those were very frustrating situations for me. Yeah, that would be. And I just in exchanging plopping conversations with other people, it's more common than you might think. It is. So yeah. how do you sort that out ahead of time, do you think? Yeah. Well, man, I don't know. I, I think both that whatever role you are on a board or working for a non-for-profit or whatever it is, you need to always just have an open mind. So everybody has their experience with something. Some of these folks have experience with that non-for-profit for decades. And they did something one way that might have been 30 years ago. They can provide that history and knowledge, but we might need to adapt it. We might need to do a little differently, or we might need to just try it again. Mm. It didn't work in the past, but that doesn't mean that it won't work moving forward. Well, that's an entrepreneurial skill that you've just alluded to, which is basically being able to help people make change through change. And that's, you know, we as human beings in general are, we like to think we're good at change, but <laughs> mostly we were really not. Right, right. And so I think whether you're the leader of a small company or you're heading a nonprofit, you probably need to be pretty good at change management. Yeah, you Would do. you say that's fair? Uh, it's fair. Talk a little bit about the organizations you work with. Start with the Waukegan Art Center and, and Waukegan Park District and, and what you do for them, what some of the kinds of initiatives and, and pieces of that job are. Sure. So I am employed by the Waukegan Park District, and I am the manager of the cultural arts, and within that we have both arts and history programming. So when I was originally hired by the Park District, I was in charge of the history programming with the, with the museum. But then with the history part of it, we work on behalf of the Historical Society. So that's where my role as a staff with a nonprofit comes in. Uh, because it's it's really a, a municipal or a, a, it is. a the, government job, but as I said, my sense is in your role with the uh, with the symphony orchestra, it seems in many ways very similar to to it, nonprofit. It, it is very similar. Yeah, I I don't notice too many differences within the park district. You are working for an elected official or elected officials. You have a little more public insight and oversight into what you're doing as opposed to in the nonprofit, but it's all really very similar. Whether you get the grant from a donor or you get it from the city of Waukegan or wherever, you still, in many cases, need to raise money and right. look for people who are volunteers to help with things. Right, um, right. Very, very similar. Very similar, yeah. 
Yeah. What about um, what about the historical society? What does it do? Well, it's over fifty years old at this point, and it has really evolved over time. I mean, it was started by a small group of like-minded individuals who wanted to just save and preserve the city's history. From there, they opened up uh, the first small museum that they had and just started collecting and collecting and collecting. But then the Historical Society became a partner with the Park District. Ah. And that is a huge benefit to the Waukegan Historical Society, having a partner like that. Because then eventually it resulted in the museum, the Historical Society, having staff paid by the Park District. Well, and I can only imagine my guest last week was actually a woman who helps nonprofits, and she started her career as helping them with collection management. Okay. And I had never realized the logistical problem that some of these museums have with all these specimens, Yeah, you know, three million items, and you don't even know what you've got where. Correct. It's very challenging. And... What I've seen with other similar historical societies around Lake County, the ones that are truly su- successful, they, they all do great things. But the ones that have a partnership like we do and have professional staff, it's a big benefit. And it, it allows uh, their boards to then maybe focus a little bit differently to not, again, have to worry about those day-to-day things. And, and our society has greatly benefited from the Park District's partnership and we have great things ahead of us, actually. Yeah? So yeah. talk about some of those initiatives. Sh- I sure. Mean- well, the the society a few years ago realized that, well, with the collections management that we were just talking about, we were out of space. The current museum space just does not have what we need for the storage of the collections. Our research library is overflowing. So with, with the Park District, it was determined that, yeah, we needed to add on to the current museum. So we had been fundraising for that for some time now to some success, but I was also seeing other historical societies around us or seeing it in the news where they had that one special moment, that one angel that gave them millions of dollars. Oh, wow. It was just kind of like... But uh, can you count on that to happen every time? No, but it happened. Wow. It worked for us. I mean, just we finally had that one moment. And it wow. it really happens because of 50 years of the Historical Society being a positive influence in the community. So it, it is well respected. And we had this opportunity that was presented to us of someone who liked us, who respected us, a private foundation that had money to possibly give. And a few of us went in to meet with, this, uh, with the representatives and... For some reason, I was put in charge of being the one to ask for the money. I don't like to fundraise. I don't like doing that. I never even liked as a kid to try to sell anything for school or anything like that. Right, but if you're working for nonprofits, that's probably yeah. something that yes, yeah. you've I've, had to do more than once or twice. I've been lucky in my job where I haven't had to do that very often, have turned down other potential jobs because that was going to be a big part of it and they didn't want to do it. Now I don't have a problem with it. But working with that foundation, with the initial ask, they they listened nicely, were polite, but ultimately said, well, no, you all aren't ready for it, but we can work together to maybe get to that point. 
And over the last two years, we've been working along with this foundation, the Historic Society, the park, the park District together, and have been excited to announce that our original plans of adding on to the museum, well, we have a new plan. We are <laughs> you pivoted. We pivoted. This is we, exactly what I was talking about. We have uh, we are expanding our history operations to the old Waukegan Carnegie Library. So we work with that. I don't know where that is, but uh, it's on Sheridan Road and Washington Street. Oh, um, okay. Da- in downtown Waukegan, nineteen oh three building uh, has been sit- sitting vacant for fifty years, but it is a historic landmark. It's on the National Register. All these wonderful things, and. We did a historic structure report thanks to the, the foundation, and ultimately we found, yes, it would work, but it would cost around eight, $8.5 million. Uh, to renovate? To renovate. And, and retrofit, make it fit right, for... Right, right, Wow. But that foundation then in turn said, we'll give you $5 million. And then we've had some other folks along the way that are giving s- some money. And then the, the partnership with the Park District is allowing for all of this to happen. Wow, that's great. Yep. Well, and it's great for the city of Waukegan, too, because it's a struggle. Waukegan, I know, struggles, as do many older communities, with keeping a really vibrant downtown and different kinds of things that would draw people to the downtown area. So that's right. great. Right. That's a win-win, it, it sounds is. like. It is. What's going on with some of your other organizations? Well, the Waukegan Arts Council, it's an organization that is now 10 years old. And really, its purpose is to showcase the arts in Waukegan. And I'm a pretty recent board member there. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I am uh, the chair of that organization. I ran on the uh, platform of no one else wants to do it. So I won. You um, you forgot to take the step backwards when everybody else <laughs> did, right? I did, yes. I kind of took the approach of, well, I have to go to these meetings because I'm kind of on the board as part of the partnership with the Arts Council and the Park District as well. So I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the board. I might as well run the meetings. Hopefully I can get everybody in and out efficiently because I don't, I don't want to be there too long. Well, I'm guessing there's another skill. I know that's one that's applicable in the business world that you don't learn enough of in college, in my experience. And I hope they've changed that since, I don't know, five or ten years. (laughs) (laughs) It might be a little more. Um, But efficient running meetings. Number one, not having meetings you don't need to have. And number two, running the meetings efficiently and effectively. Oh, my goodness. They need a course on that. It, they do. It's tough. It takes a, a full team effort of everybody at that table. And sometimes you have to hit the gavel a few times. Sometimes just have to remind that this isn't the social aspect of the organization. We can chat and have fun later on. But right now we need to just do the business of it. And it's hard. I think I am very funny. I, I have jokes that pop into my head through these meetings and I... I share too many of them, so I know that I myself railroad these meetings. So <laughs> we can all be better somehow. Well, it's, but you still you have to have some fun with it. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you know, do. It's a you kind do. Of work hard, play hard is yeah. my my motto. So, so the the arts council is really focusing on uh, showcasing local artists, and as a group, we've started to realize that some of the things we did in the past successfully just wasn't sustainable. 
Mm. We were doing large, really special events. And these were like maybe a large exhibit that would last for a few weeks or more, Mm -hmm. uh, which took an incredible amount of resources, both monetarily and just with people, volunteer hours and whatnot. So now we're kind of trying to do things a little more low tech. So really focusing on the membership, rebuilding the membership, showcasing all the different art forms that we have in Waukegan. And as a board, we realize that we we need to evolve. We look around, we have too many members that are really focused on the, the visual arts. We don't have very many that are part of this different art forms, mm. like music. I'm I'm the music representative, and I am not a musician. You know, right. I'm, and I'm well, not. Well, you are, but well, I, but I I don't understand the professional music world yes. or any of these right. things. Right. And so we need some more. You're not a union member, and you're not. Right. You know, you don't make your living doing gigs all the time or teaching or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I show up and play last bass in the symphony, and maybe get my instrument tuned right, and that's about it. That's uh, more than a lot of us do. You have a lot to be proud of there, especially given everything else you do. What do you think you've learned over the past few years working with nonprofits? I mean, what what kind of words of wisdom would you give to people who are thinking about this as a career? Well, if you're thinking about it as a career, you need to realize that it's not a nine-to-five job. You're always on the clock. And well, that sounds just like a startup business. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And in my case, I mean, I, I am working with volunteers. Some of them retired, some of them not. So when you have to have a meeting, you're not doing it in 9 to 5. You're doing it on a weekend. You're doing it in on the evenings. On a Tuesday night, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't keep those meetings organized, that the meeting that was supposed to end at 9 doesn't get over till. 1030 or Correct. whatever. Correct. Yeah. So you, you really have to be willing to really give a lot of yourself to that organization. And you have to say no. You can't do it all. Good opportunities will come your way, but you have to always kind of reflect and think, well, okay, what's the toll if I do that? What is the domino effect? What starts to break down? What, what, won't, what won't you be able to focus on if you do this next thing? So you always have to be paying attention to that. Well, I think what you're suggesting, again, just like a small business person, time is your most precious commodity, really. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people think about nonprofits and, oh, most of their time spent raising money. And I'm sure there is, for some of them, uh, that's a large element. But the reality is, is that when it comes to programming and to delivering results and making an impact for the mission of the organization time is really just like any business time is really the limiting constraint and all things are not possible unless you're smarter than Stephen Hawking and can somehow (laughs) change the laws of time and space right correct correct and you have to think about the people that you're working with too I mean you you have to first and foremost be concerned about how you are going to react to more more responsibilities or something new but if you're asking others on the board or other volunteers i mean again it takes them away from something else as well and you don't want them to head for the hills and basically say i never signed up for any of this i can't do this correct yeah right do you think you'll always work with nonprofits? i think i will yeah always in some capacity 
I hope to always be able to at least volunteer. Whether or not I'm working for one, uh, I don't know. If anyone listening in Waukegan, I have no intention of uh, leaving or anything right now, so oh, don't no, worry. Oh, no, 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 no. But, I was uh, just asking more, you know, five, ten years from now, your own personal life goals, if that's what your passion is or if there's something else that eventually you think you could see yourself doing. I hope to uh, continue on, especially within the history realm, as a dedicated volunteer someday in the future. Once I'm retired, just helping out as I can, researching here and there, sharing some stories uh, with others. But I, I always do hope to have a have a part within a nonprofit. So, Ty, last question for you. If people want to know more about the upcoming events or more about how to volunteer with any of the organizations you're involved in or, you know, want to chat with you, what's the best way for them to connect and and reach some of these organizations or to to reach you? Really through our websites. Uh, uh, you can share the websites if you'd like. Sure. Um, so WaukeganHistorical.org, WaukeganArtsCouncil.org, and then we have different social media sites, Facebook pages for both of those. Um, the Historical Society you can find under Waukegan History Museum. And the Waukegan Arts Council name is the one for that. And don't forget Waukegan Symphony Orchestra. Wa- yep, Waukegan. Yep, Waukegan Symphony dot uh, org, and also they have a social media with Waukegan Symphony Orchestra and Concert Chorus on Facebook. We have the Jack Benny Center Facebook page. So we have a lot of different, a lot of different, lot of ways, different ways to get uh, yeah. connected and and but we uh, we get every learn. day uh, or every week somebody say I never knew you guys existed and so whatever uh, rock it is that some of you are living under I don't know but to... I'm going to take a moment selfishly <laughs> to plug the three children's concert that the the Ty and I will be yeah uh, doing at the Waukegan Public Library on well actually two weeks from today right. right. That is our show for this week. Ty, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. And for sharing some of the words of wisdom and just a little bit about what it's like working for nonprofits. So it was a pleasure having you here. Thanks. It was a pleasure to uh, make up these things as we went in this radio show. So, <laughs> All right, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. And again, a big thank you to Ty Rohr, our guest for today. I hope all of our listeners learned a little bit more about working with nonprofits. To listen to an on-demand recording podcast of today's show, along with other free information and resources for entrepreneurs, you can go to the Savvy Entrepreneur show page at lakesradio.org, my consulting website, which is globalocityservices.com, next week be sure to join us uh, will be Michael Rosen he is actually the the founder and starter of something called Helix 51 which is a healthcare incubator that's just getting launched for new healthcare companies at Rosalind Franklin University Rosalind Franklin for those of you who don't know and I certainly didn't know actually houses one of five of the Chicago area's medical schools so he'll tell us all about what it's like to start an incubator and some of the companies that are working with him there it'll be an interesting lesson I promise so don't miss it and until then folks I'm Doris Nagel wishing you happy entrepreneuring <laughs>